guys. Well, good morning. Good morning. Let's get started here. Good morning, Anne. I just wanted to read. I've I've read this a couple times now. I'm just working my way slowly through uh, Gospel Deeps. Um, I love the sound of Lagos in the morning. I love it. Um, But yeah, I've been reading slowly through Gospel Deeps by uh, Jared Wilson. And um, just wanted to read a paragraph that, that really struck me and I think aligns really well with where we've been in Romans and uh, where we're going. And so let me see here. <clears throat> he says this, To live in insecurity or to insist upon it doctrinally is to side with the accusations of the devil, whose chief end is, is to convince us that our sin is greater than our God's promise to forgive it. I'm going to read that again because it's strong, but man, it it hits home. To live in insecurity or to insist upon it doctrinally is to side with the accusations of the devil, whose chief end is to convince us that our sin is greater than our God's promise to forgive it. In Martin Luther's Letters of Spiritual Counsel, we find this word of encouragement written to a young correspondent. Martin Luther says this, When the devil throws our sins up to us and declares that we deserve death and hell, we ought to speak thus, I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? Does this mean that I shall be sentenced to eternal damnation? By no means. I like that phrase. Martin Luther just takes it straight from Paul. By no means. For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction in my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Where he is there shall I be also. So as we've been talking about, Christ is our life, our our reality, our future, our present is tied up, united with him. Um, I just thought, wow, what a powerful reminder. To doubt that is to really side with the accusations of our enemy. Um, But to believe it is to believe that God really is that good, that our reality is tied up completely in Jesus Christ. And so when we feel accused, when we feel unworthy, it's an opportunity for us to go back to the truth and say, yeah, yeah, the the old Dave Hawes deserves death and hell and damnation. But uh, who I am in Christ united with him, I get to be where Christ is. And so I know what I deserved, uh, but I also know what my present and my future is in Christ. And so what a, what a promise. Um, and I like, yeah, how he just, he Martin Luther took straight from Paul and said, by no means. You're going to see that phrase over and over from Paul, and I love it. So, um, Sean Young, would you be willing to pray for us this morning? And then we'll roll into chapter 6, verse 19. Uh, Father, we uh, come before your throne humbly, Lord, and and, and yet boldly as you, uh, as you request. And we ask for for guidance and wisdom and, 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 uh, and correction. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we want to, uh, we want to know truth more than we want to be right. Lord, we want to, uh, share, share that with the world. Lord, and we ask that you give us the courage and wisdom to, uh, to, to find opportunity in, in, uh, in every conversation to, to make you known. Um, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Well, just to, to do a quick little, um, we've been talking a little bit about in Romans, uh, you can get caught up. I mean, every word carries so much weight and significance. Uh, sometimes you lose sight of the bigger picture of, of where Paul's pointing us to the power of the gospel to save. 
And so um, between Sean and myself, we, we want to make sure every once in a while we're just kind of backing up and a little, looking a little bit bigger. And I really want to recommend, if you get a chance, um, there's a really good book or set of books by Tim Keller on Romans called Romans for You. And um, I stole this outline from him. And uh, so I just, in chapter six, I'm just going to read a few little lines of where we've been in chapter six and now going into seven, just to kind of catch us up to speed, think about outline, and then we'll pick up verse 19. So in in chapter six, verse one, uh, Paul asks kind of the first question of four key questions he's going to ask in Romans 6 and 7. And the first question he asks is, is along the lines, does the message of salvation by grace alone lead you to stay unchanged morally? And then the next uh, verses in in chapter 6, verse 2 through 10, answer part 1 is no. The gospel gives you the knowledge of your new status with regard to sin. And then 11 through 14, answer part 2, no. The gospel gives you power over sin as well. So if you remember, we really stress this in those first 14 verses in in Romans 6, this idea of if you've been united with Christ, as we just talked about, um, baptized into his death and raised with him to new life through his resurrection, um, then you know um, that the old has gone, the new has come, and um, you believe this to be true and uh, which we use the word, or he uses the word reckon, right? Uh, Head, heart, and then hands. We present ourselves to God as instruments of righteousness. And then in verse 15, uh, Keller says, here comes the second key question of four in these two chapters. Does the gospel, the message, you are no longer under the law, leave you free then to live the way you choose? And answer part one is in uh, Romans 6, 16 through 23. No, you can either be a slave to sin or a servant of God, but no one's free. So we really stress that, right? You can be a slave to sin or a a servant of God. Uh, You're going to be one or the other. And now, or where we'll get in a a few minutes once we wrap up six, is the first six verses of chapter seven comes part two of that answer, No, you can either be married to the law or married to Christ, but no one's free. So we'll see that in a bit is first Paul uses uh, slavery as an example. We're either slaves to sin or slaves of righteousness. And then in seven, he'll start out with uh, same exact idea, different analogy. We're either married uh, to the law or married to Christ. And so that's, that's where we're going. So any questions, thoughts on that? And then we'll pick up. Romans 6, verse 19, and finish out the chapter. Um, Everybody doing okay? Mm -hmm. All right. Cool. Will somebody take um, verse, just read verse 19 for us. Romans 6, 19. I'll do that. All right. Thanks, Susan. I'm, I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, 
What benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thank you, Susan. So there back in verse 19, I, I think we joked about this and kind of glazed over it a little bit a few weeks ago. But when he says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, what, what do you think Paul means by that? I think he's talking in the uh, immaturity of the people of his audience, uh, immature in the Christian faith mm-hmm. in their beliefs. I think they're still um, mm-hmm. fully endorsed the gospel. Yeah. And I think we can put ourselves in that same camp too, right, Ron? Um, and I think too where, where Paul's going with this is, in a sense saying, you guys, the the spiritual weight and significance of this is so great um, that I'm going to use a few human analogies here, um, a few physical analogies to try and bring it home. But you have to know this is so great that uh, the human mind isn't, the finite mind isn't really going to be able to grasp the greatness of this completely and fully until we're glorified and in his presence. Right. I, I think there's an element of that too, is, Hey, we're, we're milk drinkers want to grow to become meat eaters biblically, but also this mystery is so great that it is, it is difficult. Uh, but here's a few practical examples I'll give you. I think is where Paul's going, but, uh, any other thoughts you guys have on that? Uh, just that he seems to be apologizing or almost apologizing for using the analogy of slavery with the mm. Jews. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you, um, yeah. Where do you see him going with that? Uh, just that um, uh, he, when he says I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, um, like you said, I think he's, he's addressing um, their spiritual weakness or their milk, Mm-hmm. milk drinking, but at the same time, almost apologizing to them for using that analogy um, of slavery in order to drive the home, the, the point home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's really making it clear that you're going to serve one master, one, mm-hmm. one or the other. There's an, it's black or white. You're, <clears throat> you know, you, you can't serve <clears throat> lawlessness and serve the law or serve mm-hmm. Christ and, and serve Satan. Yeah. And he wants you to see, you know, with that is put the two, and I think this is why he compares it with slavery and then marriage, put the two next to each other and see the difference. You're going to be a slave to one or the other, but um, notice the significance going on here. And uh, I just jotted this down. Um, The road of sin leads you to more sin is what he's saying. And, And specifically, we're still on 19 and 20 here. Sin nev- never gave you another option when you were its slave. Sin never lets you serve another master. A life of sin makes no room for righteousness. But God, our new master, gives us freedom to follow him or sin. Sin never gave you that freedom. 
Um, so Paul's saying, take advantage of that new freedom, not to sin, but to live life uh, the way God intended us to live. And so just, he wants you to notice when sin was your master, it controlled you, dominated you, you were, you were in its claws. Your new master, um, your new master, man, there is so much grace and freedom, but don't use that freedom to go back to the old mm-hmm. master. Use that freedom to, to live a, a life of righteousness. Um, I want to ask, um, I was sharing this with a few people uh, this week as we were chatting talking through um, some difficult circumstances in life and whether or not or how to trust God. And I I just want to ask this question, and then maybe when we wrap up six, I want to hear, as you guys have thought about it, your thoughts. Um, If we truly believe these three statements, we would not struggle with faith, belief, and obedience in God. These three statements. First of all, God is in control. Second of all, God knows what is best. Third of all, God loves me and wants what is best for me. So if you and I, every which, you know, this is a little bit idealistic in nature, right? If every minute of the day we believe God is in control, God knows what is best, God loves me and wants what is best for me. If we believe those three things when faced with sin, we would choose God every time. Uh, think about that a little bit, and maybe at the end of six, we'll, we'll chat. You say, do we do we believe that to be true? Um, and then um, in verse nineteen, he uh, he also says, "Now present once again that language. Present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification." Uh, and then. Let's see, 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What's he mean by that that line right there? When you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. I remember back in... I'm sorry, go ahead, Ron. Or John, what's it? I think it's just... um, the I you know it's a big big concept but maybe try to boil it down to the, the thought that um, when you're a slave to to sin uh, holiness and righteousness um, you are free from from the constraints of uh, the law hmm. and uh, righteousness uh, uh, holiness does not appeal to you neither does the law mm-hmm. and it, it the those the holiness and the law and um, righteousness you are not bound by those constraints mm-hmm. um, and if that kind of makes any sense at all mm-hmm. yeah I was thinking about it and I, I got to do a little more work on verse 20 in my own thinking but it seems like you know every human is gonna as we've talked about, has been given a, a conscience from the Lord and there'll be a level of guilt there and a, a, a recognition of, of we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're breaking his law. But he seems to be saying, you know, before you knew Jesus, um, when you were just slaves of sin and, and not a slave of righteousness, um, you didn't you didn't really feel um, the pull or the um, the weight of living righteously, it just it just wasn't there. You were dead to it. 
Um, but now that's obviously switched. But Sean, you were going to say something. Um, I was just going to say um, the way I see this concept is Paul says you're a slave of one or the other, either a slave of sin or a slave of righteousness. And remember, the natural man is an enemy of God and cannot do righteousness mm -hmm. in, in, in God's eyes. And so to be free uh, in regard to righteousness suggests that you're only bound to unrighteousness and it's your mm -hmm. master and it has claim on you. Mm -hmm. Righteousness has no claim on you. Mm -hmm. um, but my question really is, what does this tell us about the position of fence sitters? People mm -hmm. who say, um, oh, I, you know, I believe in God, but I don't believe this or, or, or I don't know, but I, I think I'm a good person. What does this tell us about fence sitters? Mm -hmm. If, if in fact, um, we're the natural man is free in regard to righteousness. Hmm. And considering that, that we're either a slave of sin or a slave of, of, of God, hmm. this, this leaves the fence sitter with, with literally no position, right? Yeah. 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 Hmm. Yeah. We'll choose one or the other. Hmm. That's, that's well said. Verse 21, what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. So Paul, I believe here, just wants us to stop and think about your, your new life. Well, first of all, think about your old life without Jesus. He's saying, were your choices and decisions benefiting you and bringing you life? No. They were leading you into slow and a painful death. And so he, he wants you to think about when you were a slave to sin, what was that doing to you? Um, and uh, it, it reminds me of Jesus' language in John 10. In the same verse, um, I never really noticed this, how much he's contrasting himself with the enemy. In John 10, verse 10, where he says, The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy but I've come that they may have life, abundant life. And I think this is what Paul's driving home here is think about when you were a slave to sin, how it brought death. Think about how you have an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Why would you want to go back when you have a new master who comes that you may have life and life abundantly? So, so think about the fruit of your decisions. Um, and uh, which which side do you want to land on? So as Sean, as you bring up fence sitting, why sit on the fence when there's a, a new master promising you abundant life? Um, any thoughts on that before we roll? Hey, I think okay, Paul's killing the idea of even a position on the fence. Mm -hmm. um, when the, the question is why sit on the fence, I think Paul's really saying you can't sit on the fence. Right. You, you're you're one or the other. You you you're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I think it just drives home the point that, you know, it's, it's black or white. You know, mm -hmm. it, there is no gray. The gray is as a man created color, uh, lack of a better term, that it's our comfort zone. We have made our own decision. We're going to, you know, make our own lives for ourselves instead of living in Christ. Um, I, I think of the sin almost like a like a cancer where it keeps dividing itself and just soon takes over that organ. Mm -hmm. Cells just keep being yeah. divided and divided, mm -hmm. and before you know it, the the cancer is taken over and it, it kills you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, right, Ron? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Perpetual, you know, it, it's just, it's just, that's all you think of. It becomes an obsession, you know, it just, you know, you first it comes to you think about it and then you, you make a plan and then you just dwell on that plan and then you execute the plan and it just, it always leads to death. It's always destruction. At the time, we think it's, you know, I guess I, I've said before that if sin wasn't pleasurable, we wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. There would be no attraction to it. Yeah. So, uh, again, I think it starts in the heart or starts in the eyes and then it, or the, the ego and then just slowly takes over. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, it's sometimes it's blatant. It's sometimes it's bang right there. It's going to happen. But I think over and over again, it becomes more pleasurable and we justify it and we... We just continue to go down that path, and before we know it, we're in a total destruction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's read 22, 23, and then I want to circle back as we wrap up 6 to that, that question about those three statements about who God is and what he's like. Um, verse 22, but now that you've been set free from sin, become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, yeah, what do you guys see in there? I had a question about that. So yeah. when some the, the people that go to hell, they're gonna have eternal life, but it's in hell and it's mm. just away from the presence of God, the absence of God. Mm-hmm. But are they still living, not living, but is there a soul still living eternal life like we will be eternal life in heaven? Mm. That's a great question. Um, Sean, I know we've done some work together on heaven and hell and the reunion between heaven and earth. Um, I'm trying to remember if we went after that or not. My Off the top of my head, um, I know. I think it's a great question, Ron. I'd like to do some more work on this, so please help me, class, if you have thoughts. But from my understanding is that every person will be resurrected, will stand before the Lord, and it's a bodily resurrection. So so every, um, from what we can tell, every human will be reunited with their physical body. Um, and then, yeah, those separated from the presence of the Lord will... Um, be living in an embodied state, uh, separated from him for eternity. Um, but you know, as you ask that, I realize I got, I got to do some work on that. Um, I feel pretty fuzzy on that. Anybody else have thoughts on, on where to go in scripture for that? When I say picture, of Lazarus and the rich man, mm-hmm. a clear presentation on, there is a, um, a a soul and a uh, a body of some sort um, that uh, you know the rich man is in torment and he sees uh, Lazarus and he says you know sins you know I've got I've got brothers that need to be saved and um, so there there's a uh, a reality to this like like a like to think about it, the reality of that man in torment was greater mm-hmm. than the reality that we have right now, because it was um, an awakening of his uh, lostness mm-hmm. and um, what 
uh, that the fact that he is going to be in that place for eternity, mm. um, or or even well, it's kind of sounds like a holding place, but anyway, there there is a there is a um, uh, there's mental faculties. There's a uh, an understanding of being separated and lost, mm-hmm. that and hopelessness. That um, uh, and, and that man is is still in that place today. Mm-hmm. It, it's not changing, and so I think we need to realize that that these are high stakes that we're uh, we're living. Yeah. You know, and back to Sean's. Um, fence um, writing, sitting or writing you're, you know you I, I think many times the lost are much more honest than we are mm. um, and they have chosen their sites you know and they're, they're going to pursue a, a life of lawlessness where mm. many of us and, um, and or most of us at times have, have decided to try to ride that fence I'll go to church I'll be uh, I'll be a nice person. I'll even give some money once in a while, you know. And uh, <clears throat> I want control over my own life. Mm-hmm. And you know, to be a slave, it says here to to be a slave to a God um, is exactly what that means. Um, I am I have chosen to give myself up. Mm-hmm. Um, regardless of the cost, mm-hmm. to follow him, mm-hmm. and uh, it, you know that's a growing process. But in reality, that's what we're called to. Mm-hmm. John, and it seems like by giving ourselves up, we're really um, giving ourselves over to death because we're not feeding our flesh, right? Mm-hmm. But the truth is, God is the life giver, and we're really entering into eternal life. By completely giving ourselves up, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's a, uh, a wonderful exchange uh, that yeah. goes on here. Yeah. Uh, all of us have to uh, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually make that decision to jump into the deep end and say, "I'm not going back." Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, that is that is difficult, but that's life. Mm-hmm. That is true life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Paul's going to talk. Uh, as we get into seven, I think it's going to be pretty, pretty comforting to folks to see Paul's struggle, and, and that's the struggle that Paul talks about in seven. John, right, is is the 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 desire of the flesh to go back to that old life, or the desire of the flesh to do what it wants to do, versus submitting yourselves and becoming a slave of righteousness. It's hmm. good. And Ron, as you asked that question, you know, you mentioned eternal life. And as John was talking, it reminded me of the, the God. I never realized this before studying the gospel of John. But uh, John really emphasizes every time Jesus uses the phrase eternal life and invites us into eternal life, it's, it's the word zoe, which is in sharp contrast to another Greek word, bios. And so eternal life isn't just, hey, you're going to live forever. Zoe is this idea of the full life, to be fully alive. And even whether you're a Christian or not, you'll hear people use that language, right, of like wanting to be fully alive and not just going through the motions. And so I would even say, as we say, you know, those in hell will be, will have eternal life. 
they won't have the eternal life Jesus is describing. It, it's not the, the fully alive, um, the united to him um, fullness, abundant life that he's inviting people. It's living forever, but it's not eternal life, if that makes sense. But I, I want to do some more some more work on that. Um, it's kind of a, a, an existence. Yeah, yeah, that's a good existence. Um, yeah, yeah. You, anything outside of, of, of the Father is mm. not life. Yeah. It's, it's real existence. And we see that play out in the world when we, you know, folks talk about being empty, you know, just going through the routine of, mm. of living. Yeah. Dead inside, and that's what we're talking about. That feeling of being dead inside uh, for eternity, mm-hmm. and there's no hope to regain any hope. And so, with Christ, He, he brings hope and He brings life, and um, uh, it's just an amazing, amazing thing what He's done for us. Mm-hmm. That is. I think we confuse life with existence, huh, John? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. They're different things. Biblically, they're different things. So many, you know, I, I see it all the time in my work, and people are, are existing, and there's mm-hmm. a dullness in their eyes and mm-hmm. a, a depression of spirit. Um, mm-hmm. But yet, uh, we all fight to remain there, um, and it's interesting. Um, we will play. Um, uh, Dr. Wilson wants to have Caleb played uh, in in the mm. office, you know. Mm. And um, one of the staff said, just out of the blue, just almost to herself, I don't like that station. I don't like that music. Mm. And it made me think, you know, she, she's hearing the message and the messages of hope and peace. And she's saying, I don't like that message. Mm. It's talking about Jesus, you know. Yeah. And and so it everybody is is having that struggle. Um, do I want to be a, I, you know I, I want to be a slave to sin because if I don't it means I have to uh, I have to make a choice with Christ. And mm-hmm. it, it it becomes that simple. Uh, mm-hmm. Choose this day whom you will serve. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll shut up. No, let's keep going. <laughs> um, as you guys talk about life and existence, it reminds me of uh, one commentary I'd read on Zoe versus Bios. I thought it was a really good example. It's like a dog can talk to a flower and tell the flower, you're alive, but you're not really living. And then a, a human comes along and says to a dog, you're alive, but you're not really living. Um, and then Jesus comes along to us and says, you're alive and you think you're alive, but you're not really living. Um, there's a whole nother dimension of eternal life I'm inviting you into. And thinking about on that level, I was like, wow, that's, that's us. We go through life and, uh, maybe like a flower or a dog, we think, yeah, I'm, I'm living, I'm doing it, whatever. <laughs> uh, but Jesus comes along and says, no, there's a greater, deeper more meaningful life that you've been made for. Um, I'll read one more thought. I I had this in my notes, but I skipped over it. But Ron, I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, C.S. Lewis talks about how um, when when it says the wages of sin is death, um, maybe to think about that for eternity. 
He says, Christianity asserts that every individual human being is going to live forever, and this must be either true or false. Now, there are a good many things which would not be worth bothering about if I were only going to live 70 years, but which I had better bother about very seriously if I'm going to live forever. Perhaps my bad temper or my jealousy are gradually getting worse, so gradually gradually that the increase in 70 years will not be that noticeable. But it might be absolute hell in a million years. In fact, if Christianity is true, hell is the precisely correct technical technical term for what it would be. So he he talks about that of, of... there's these, you know, we know sin nature, but that these sins in our lives that we, that we can kind of manage and cope and kind of suppress for 70, 80, 90 years here on earth. But he says, now imagine these sins continuing to grow and develop in your character forever and ever. And mm-hmm. eventually you just cave in on yourself. Um, imagine jealousy going un, without restraint jealousy growing in your heart forever and ever and ever it will consume you um and it really makes a pretty strong point that hell is is your sin without the restraint of god's grace and it just grows and it grows and it grows until you're consumed by your own sin and that's the result the wages of sin is death is when we don't ask the lord our savior to do something about this sin to crucify it uh, that it it will consume us in the end, um, and so yeah, that's uh, yeah. Think about that a little bit, and it sounds gross. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It really does. Like yeah. it's it's it sounds just yeah so unappealing. Mm-hmm. It creates and, the or go ahead, Connie. I was just gonna say, and being in that existence with millions and millions of others living that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or existing that. Yeah. You know, when when we were when we were into sin, it didn't look gross. It's when we have the perspective afterwards yeah. and be able to have the hindsight of twenty twenty, mm-hmm. we can see how ugly and awful it is. Uh, again, but being in the midst of it, it's pleasurable. It's fun, you know. And I think that's the um, the deceitfulness of sin. Yeah. You know, as as Connie says that, I got the picture of if if you've ever been in a pretty densely populated city a little bit later at night and you find yourself in the wrong part of town and it just feels like, man, in this spot, like sin, sin is going to do what it wants tonight. Um, Now, you know, imagine that for all of eternity, this place where sin is just snowballing and and, um, there's no restraint and it's just... Yeah, it's heavy thinking about it that way. Um, but it, it really creates in, in me as I think about this like deeper gratitude, but also just like, Lord, crucify, crucify that sin in me. Um, uh, yeah, anyway, so verse, I just want to maybe wrap up as we talk about, so the wages of sin is death. So if our sin were to just go on and on and on, it would mean death, eternal death for us. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So Paul's just putting that contrast in front of us. Um, any Anything there in 23 before we wrap up 6? Dave, can you speak to, Sean, um, what it means for the wages of sin mm. is death? 
What are your thoughts? Um, well, it's a wages are a payment for something mm-hmm. due, right? Mm-hmm. Um, our payment, uh, oh boy. Um, yeah, our, our, our payment for our, for our work of sin is, is death. We, we get, um, it's what we deserve. I think, is that where you're going, John? Well, I'm, yeah, it's, it's kind of an odd, odd phrase in, in my mind. You know, we work for money mm-hmm. and, um, so we're paid in, in money, um, but when we, when what we're paid for when we sin or when we're a sinner, it's not money; it's it's death. Mm-hmm. And so, as we sin, uh, we accumulate our wages, which is um, a deeper and a deeper death. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? I'm just talking out loud here. I jotted down, and I there I see two things going on when it says the wages of sin is death. I'm sure there are more, but I jotted down: serve sin, and your reward is death. And John, to your I guess to to supplement what you just said, I wrote: a worker wants to know his compensation before the workday begins. So before you choose to work for sin or God, you need to know that sin will pay you with death. And God will pay you with life, abundant life. So who do you want to work for? And then I also see, and this is probably a longer conversation and I don't have it clear yet in my mind. I also see the wages of sin is death as um, this need for a ransom. This, um, you, if you choose to work, work for Satan, um, he owns you. Um, and... And there's a price that needs to be paid in order for you to be free. Um, so not only will your reward for working for the enemy be death, but also there needs to be a ransom paid for you to pay off that debt. Um, like I said, I don't have that clear in my thinking, but I see kind of those two things going on there. But somebody jump in and save me. <laughs> well, well, quick question. Do you think that it, is, it would be a stretch to say for the wages uh, for the wages of sin is bondage mm-hmm. uh, in, in some aspect too, or no? I, I think it would, John. I think if... Okay, so Paul's still talking to the Jews, right? We just came off part of the letter explaining that that righteousness or do doesn't come from the law yet that's what their whole system was based on was works right and so i think part of what paul's saying is that if your system is going to be based on works because remember he he Mm -hmm. counters it with free gift Mm -hmm. if your system is going to be based upon works what you're going to get for those works is death Mm -hmm. he says no one is righteous no not one um and so he, he counters it with, but the free gift of God is eternal life rather than the working for those, for, for the working of righteousness through the law is the wages. I think I, 
I don't know that I explained that well, but it made sense in my head. (laughs) (laughs) I felt like I was wandering too. I was like, somebody help me. Yeah. (laughs) Every action has a payout. Mm -hmm. So, you know, whether it's eternal life of Christ or eternal whatever in hell, there is a payout. And that's what the, you know, so when you work, you get a payout. When you don't work, you don't get a payout. So it's the same type of thing. Yeah, I think running with that, Dave, simply put how I would see it, it in, in part is that the Jews believe that through the works of the law, they're justified. Yeah. And Paul is saying, no way, the works of the law, the wages of those works is death. Yeah. I was, like, I was trying to find maybe a few other translations of the word wages, um, the wages of sin. And one, one, some translations will use the translation result. So the, <clears throat> so the result of sin is death. So one like simple analogy that comes to my mind is um, like telling somebody, hey, the result of stepping off of a building thinking that you can fly um, and denying gravity, the result of that is going to be death. Um, and so the wages of sin, the result of sin is going to be death. Um, yeah. Got me thinking, John. Hmm. And then, uh, just the contrast in 23 to wrap up six, but the free gift. So the wages of sin is death, but the free gift um, of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So in contrast, we don't have to work for or earn this new life, and yet we'll still be rewarded. But rather than being rewarded by or with death, we're rewarded with life, and that's the free gift. Um, so let me ask, as, as we kind of circle back, uh, the reason I, I brought this up is it really... I was sitting around uh, the fire in our backyard with a, a few people earlier this week, just talking through, um, yeah, just the struggle of really trusting that God is good and the struggle to um, choose righteousness rather than sin in our daily lives. And we were working through these three statements, and one in particular kind of landed and and it was said, I, I don't know if I can agree with that. Um, so let me ask again and just hear, do you think this is biblical? Do you think this is true? Uh, when it says God is in control, God knows what is best, God loves you, and he wants what's best for you. Do you believe that's biblical? Do you believe that's true? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I think it doesn't yeah. play out in our lives that simply sometimes. Mm-hmm. I think, I yeah. think we, we believe that God is good, but sometimes we don't believe that God is going to give us what satisfies us. Mm-hmm. It's our view of God. It's, it goes yeah. back to that statement. Yeah. What a man believes about God is the most important thing about a man. Yeah. Do we believe that we serve a holy, righteous God who's mm-hmm. in control? Mm-hmm. And people... That's what they're arguing with. They don't believe that this, they don't understand the magnitude, and we can't. 
I mean, our, our minds are finite. We can't understand mm. the, the greatness and the holiness mm. of God. Yeah. And that's what people wrestle with because mm-hmm. they really want to be their own little God. Yeah. 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 And to Sean's point, I think he's really on to something there. If we can add to these three statements, God is in control. God knows what is best. God loves me and wants what's best for me. If I were to add on to that, I would say, do I believe that everything he asks of me, if I choose to obey him and his word, it will bring him glory and me joy? Um, do I believe that? Um, so not only does you know God love me and want what's best for me, but somehow God, I, I'm amazed by this. And I think John Piper is probably one of the best at kind of laying out this biblically, but I'm amazed that God has woven things together so beautifully that our obedience will always bring him the most glory. And yet it will also bring us the most satisfaction and joy, the abundant life. And so, um, yeah, I, I think to Sean's point of what he said, we may believe that God wants what's best for me, but we have a hard time believing that his best for me is what I want. <laughs> like, cause I still think that if I go my way, I might get something a little more out of it that God wouldn't give me. And that's, that's the story of the tree in Genesis three, right? Is, well, there might be something here that God, God doesn't want me to taste of that might be a little better. Um, it seems to be that's what the enemy goes after. It sounds like the person sitting on the fence. Yeah. <laughs> you call me a fence sitter, Connie? <laughs> if the shoe fits. I never do such a thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and I the reason I bring this up is, as we wrap up six and move into seven is I, I just think this is what Paul has been inviting us to think about. Hey, Connie, you said it well. What comes you know, into our minds when we think about God is, is the most important thing about us. Paul is saying, here's the power of the gospel to save. Look at the book of Romans. Here's who God is. Here's who he says you are. Um, now in light of that, here's how then you should live. And so if we knew, man, this is who God is. This is how good he is. Um, and now this is who I am in Christ because of his free gift of eternal life. And I'm united with him and I can trust him in every decision I make. Now that now the battle is every decision we make, will we go back to believing that to be true or will we go our own way? So, Sean, you look like you had a thought and then what we can just read the beginning of seven and wrap up there. Yeah, um, I just thinking as I stepped away for a minute, the question for me isn't, is God good or is God, you know, all of these other things. The question for me in my mind is, um, is God enough? Mm. Because Mm. I think that, that we Mm. say that he is good and we say that we trust him, but yet we still cling on to these other things or other ideas. And the truth is for me, the question is, is God enough? Mm. That's good. Um, that reminds me, as you say that, of uh, a simple verse, but has been resonating with me for a few years. In Jeremiah 2.13, he says, My people have committed two sins against me. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that can't hold water. 
and it really is like, whoa, like that's it. Like that's every human. We talk about fence sitters. Like every human is going to make one of those two choices. We go to God as the spring of living water. He's the satisfaction of my soul. Or we say, well, man, I think I could dig some some pretty good muddy wells <laughs> that'll satisfy my soul. And uh, we turn our back on him and try and find joy, life, uh, in other places, other things. And, uh, yeah, is he enough? Will he satisfy? Let me ask you this, Dave. How do you handle when someone, when you're talking with someone about that? What do you say to them? When, when, uh, when we're talking through, is he enough? Yeah, this whole idea of is he's is he in control? Does he know what's best? Does he love me? You know, yeah. um, you're sitting in your backyard, you're yeah. having this discussion. Um, do you ever get anywhere with that? Yeah, yeah. So we're <clears throat> kind of working right now is just going to scripture and um, really trying to show um, that that God will use no matter how painful and it's such a delicate delicate way to do this as you guys know um, to show people that every circumstance can be and will be used for his glory um, no matter how painful and um, I could really use prayer I'm just noticing this as I sit down with more and more people of knowing that discernment of when do you just go after the truth and say, I know you don't believe it right now. I don't, I know you don't feel it, but you need to know that God is so big and he's so good that he will use this for his glory and for your good. And there will be a time in your life. You'll look back and you'll say, thank you. And you'll be amazed. Um, I need discernment of when to be, to go after those moments. And then also, as you guys know, when somebody's just hurting or grieving, when to just sit with them and not necessarily go real like theological on them. Um, so to answer your, your question, Connie, I would say it's a slow process. Um, but uh, a few passages I'm going to is um, Ron. I mean, I'm so grateful through you. The, the Lord has led me to Second Corinthians 4. And it talks about this light momentary affliction cannot be compared to the eternal weight of glory. And I just taking people to that and say, man, I know this is hard. I know you're having a hard time trusting him. I'm, I know you're having a hard time seeing um, why would God bring this into your life. But here's, here's the promise of a greater hope is that the things of this earth are temporary, um, but eternal life in him is, is eternal. And there will be a day when you look back and you say, well, I see what God was doing. So... It feels very slow, but sure, and um, yeah, I guess, I don't know, Connie, if that answers your question. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Hmm. It seems to me like there are a lot of people at that place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, even as I read this morning, I think it's why it resonated with me. I'm recognizing more than ever... I mean, it's a strong statement that I read this morning where he says to, to live in insecurity or to insist upon it doctrinally is to side with the accusations of the devil, whose chief end is to convince us that our sin is greater than our God's promise to forgive it. And what I'm finding is 
maybe for decades in the American church, we've preached grace, 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 love, 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 love. Um, and yet we as a people still don't believe that God loves us and we still don't believe he shows grace to us. So something's been missing. And um, I'm just realizing how many of us, as I sit with people, are still siding with the devil when it comes to what God says about us. Um, and I really don't know how to break through that. So, Connie, give me your wisdom. What are As you're seeing this, as you're working with women, what are, what are things that you're seeing that are helping people see, whoa, like God is this good. He really does say this about me in Christ. What are, what are things you're seeing? Well, um, I think the most important thing is it's not my job. That's the job mm-hmm. of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. to break through. Yeah. You know, we can continue to present this material, <clears throat> but until a person gets to the place where they're broken, they have a need, mm-hmm. and that need takes them to the foot of the cross and they say, Father, forgive me, mm-hmm. um, and allow the Holy Spirit to work in their lives, um, Otherwise, I think we're just kind of hitting our head against the wall. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It seems it is the driving factor. Hmm. What What do Americans need when you when you look at you know I've said it before. Our poorest have sixty inch television screens. What do we need? Hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think need really drives it, Connie. I think you're right. Hmm. Yeah. The question is how do we how do we in my mind is how do we um, show the spiritual need for, for, mm-hmm. for conversion. Yeah. Um, because otherwise it's just, it, it, it ends up being driven by, I, and I guess physical need can, can transform to the it, light, light bulb goes off and, and people see that through their physical need, there's a spiritual need, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And I think you're, you're right. That's the work of the spirit. There's nothing we can do with that. Yeah. Well, they kind of return in light of what you just said, Connie and, and Sean, back to Second Corinthians 4, right? Um, I've been stuck in Second Corinthians 3 and 4. Those two chapters are amazing. But we've talked a little bit about this and have invited people in our church to just be praying um, because it says the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light, the gospel, the glory of Jesus Christ, who's the image of God. And it really is that, like, in, until the Holy Spirit does the work of opening our eyes to see the goodness and the glory of Jesus, um, we will be enslaved to only being able to look at ourselves, only looking at how I feel, how good I think I am or I am not, until he opens our eyes to see Jesus. And so it's prayer. It's a whole lot of prayer and trusting that the Spirit does does the work. So... Yeah, beating our head against the wall is about right, Connie. <laughs> but I also think the Lord, His patience, His grace towards me. Sean and I were just talking about this the other day, but there's, I have all the, I just thank the Lord. There's these moments in my life where I'll break through and see the gospel from a whole other angle and perspective, and I'll be like, whoa, I'm like, I'm supposed to be teaching the Bible, and I never thought of it this way before. Was I even saved before? Like, I, <laughs> before yesterday? Like, how did I not see that, you know? And, and it's amazing. Like, I think there are just kind of levels and stages. The Holy Spirit will show us just from yet another angle how good God is. And uh, he's been very, very patient with me. And I can't wait for more of those moments of like, whoa the mystery of the gospel. Um, so 
patience, prayer, and uh, yeah, I don't know, quitting. <laughs> patience, prayer, perseverance, now nah, quitting. Yeah. <laughs> I think it just proves the point that we will never arrive mm. you know, in mm-hmm. this on this earth together. We will yeah. always strive and we need to continue to strive for that mark. And but without Christ we will we won't arrive. Yeah. And if we do arrive, mm-hmm. we think we have arrived, the arrogance and uh, non humility come to light. Yeah. And then yet the promise, you know, as you said, in Christ Philippians 1 6 that he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion till the day of Christ Jesus so I'm I'm so thankful for that promise my progress feels very very slow like God never works as quick as I want him to uh, especially yeah. in my life and uh, yeah he's promised he'll, he'll finish this good work so we wait and we trust and what's neat about that is um you know, I've said this before as well. If you look back a couple of weeks ago or a month ago, you, you really don't see any change in your spiritual life or your mm-hmm. personal life. But if you look back over a year ago, you see huge change. And, mm-hmm. and, 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 and it's just a testament that it's really not of you at all. Mm-hmm. It's not something you can do. You couldn't even plan out those little steps for yeah. a year. I couldn't do it anyway. No. And so it's just, a, it's just a cool testament yeah. that God is working in our lives. Yeah. That's so true. Yeah, and if I were if I were to choose my path of growth, it would be reading this book, listening to that podcast, and then memorizing this verse or whatever, and then boom, I'm like Jesus. God's God's process seems to be a lot more life circumstances and people that annoy you, <laughs> and uh, it seems to me that that's what He uses to make you more like Jesus. I or pairing the two, right? And so my process of growth would be much cleaner and uh, I would have a syllabus for it. <laughs> and God seems to say, nah, I'll just take you through life. Yeah. And it would be more comfortable. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> I would be drinking coffee, reading a really good book, becoming like Jesus <laughs> yeah. with hey, no, with no humans in sight. <laughs> I have a meeting to go to, guys, so I need to take okay. off. I'm sorry. All right, guys. Hey, love you all. Really enjoyed our conversation here. So have a, have a good morning, and uh, we'll pick up Chapter 7 next week. Sounds good. All right. Bye, okay. guys. Bye.